Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church family. My name is Barrett Bowden, and I'm one of the pastors here at Island Community Church, and I'm so grateful that you have joined us today. I want to ask you two questions before we start today's message. One is, what are you waiting for? Is there something right now in your life that you sense that you are waiting on God for? What is it? And what is the thing, as I asked the second question this morning, what is the thing that if you had enough courage, you would dare to hope God for this morning? What are you waiting for? What would you dare to hope God for? This morning, um, we're going to be spending time together continuing our series, Brokenness and Hope. And I'm really excited about it uh, as we continue to study the book of Lamentations. I'm excited to journey together as we continue um, in this season. Um, But today's message, I really believe, is going to be incredibly important and relevant for each of us. And it's gonna speak right into the very place that we often find ourselves in relationship with God, a place of waiting on him and a place of hoping in him. So if you got your Bibles this morning, you can go ahead and get them open to Lamentations. That's a book in the Old Testament written by the prophet Jeremiah at a time that the people of God were facing an incredibly difficult season. And we're gonna be in chapter three of the book of Lamentations as we open God's word together. Before we get into the text of the day, I just wanna remind you of kind of what this season is all about. This season, I'm so grateful uh, for what um, Tommy shared earlier today because we had a man standing before us who was incredibly courageous to be honest with us, who stood before us and said, life has been hard. Pain in my life has been real. The darkness and the discouragement has been sometimes overwhelming emotionally and physically and spiritually, it's felt like I've been under attack. In the middle of the night, there's been restlessness. There's been sleeplessness. There's been tears. There's been paralyzation of life and activity and ministry. We had somebody standing before us today, opening a window into a part of his life that often many of us keep shoved under the rug that we don't want other people to to know about. And yet, it's the experience of all of us. 
We know that life is hard. We know that pain is real. We know that things are broken. The world is broken. We are broken. Following Jesus involves suffering. Even doing all the right things. You can find yourself at days going, I don't understand. Why is this so hard? God, where are you? There are some days and some seasons where it feels like there are more questions than there are answers. Where it feels like there are more tears than smiles. Where it feels like there's more valleys than mountaintops and more darkness than light. And if you haven't been through seasons or days like this yet, and I would guess that probably most of us have, but if you haven't, I hate to burst your bubble. No matter how much money you get in your bank account, how much education you get in your degrees, how many job titles you get in your career advancements, how many doctor's visits you might have and how much good food you might eat, the reality is things are broken in the world and we are broken as sinners. And in life, we will have trouble. Suffering will come knocking at our door. And so in this series, what we're doing is not trying to be Debbie Downers, all right? (laughs) We're, We're not trying to discourage you. We're not trying to come in here week after week and go, isn't life sucky? Isn't the world terrible? Tennessee football sucks. No, no, I'm sorry. I, was, I should not have said that. I'm a Georgia fan. That's not appropriate. Um, some of y'all might have been feeling that after yesterday's loss, though. But we're not, we're not trying to just harp. We're not trying to harp on just all the negative things. In fact, we're doing quite the opposite. We're trying to look to God week after week. But our starting point week after week has been the starting point that the, this book of Lamentations invites us into. Invites us to go, hey, you don't have to always like just spin things and act like everything's okay when you're really not okay. If, if, if you're one who wants to get really honest about brokenness and honest about discouragement and honest about pain, here in Memphis in this season, we've been talking about just even just in the realities of our own community. I mean, read the news daily. It's hard. Things are not as they should be. We feel the tensions. And what we're inviting you into in this season is to understand that actually it's God who invites us into recognizing that when we feel in this place of silence, suffering in silence, when we feel in this place where we're empty, and disillusioned and discouraged and hurting and alone. When we feel in this place where we're going, why God and and why me? What's gone wrong? And when we ask this big question, what am I supposed to do about this? When you're in that honest place in the midst of the brokenness of the situations and relationships and even the internal life of your own journey, God invites you. He still invites you to come to him. And what we've been learning in this season is the invitation of God is the invitation of lament. Lament 
is how we bring our sorrows to God. And it's a key piece of learning relationship with him is to actually relate to him in the sorrows of life, on the dark days, with our questions, with our doubts, with our discouragements, to relate to him in the empty place, in the questioning place. Lament is the biblical pathway that God has given us to engage him in our grief. It's going to him with honesty and laying out our pain and our questions and our struggles before God. Now, if you've been journeying with us over the last weeks, hopefully this morning you'll take notes. I, I really believe note takers are good disciple makers. And so I would encourage you, if you have an opportunity, to think about taking notes this morning uh, as, a, as a way to engage. But if you've been journeying with us over the last weeks, you should have in your notes kind of the path that we've taken up to this point as we've studied up to kind of midpoint of Lamentations 3. And so far, we've learned six important principles of lament as we've looked through the book of Lamentations. And these principles can be spelled out um, in, in however way you choose, but this is the way that we have chosen to do it. Number one, we've learned that in lament, we bring our brokenness to God. We bring ourselves to God just as we are. Number two, we've learned that in lament, we bring our complaints to God. It's the chief characteristic of all laments in the Bible. It's the only characteristic that ties them all together over half, about half the Psalms, other laments throughout the scripture, always involve a complaint. Honesty about my feelings, honesty about the things that I've lost. In lament, we bring our honest complaints to God. Number three, we've learned that in lament, we bring our confession to God. Not only do we bring ourselves to God and point outward, God, all of this out here is wrong and I'm sad about it, I'm torn up over it, I'm confused about it. Not only do we point out, but we also recognize that there's brokenness within. And we pray that God would search our hearts, that he would see if there be any grievous way in us and that he would lead us in the way everlasting. So we not only bring our complaints, we bring our confession. Fourth, we learn that in lament, we bring our submission to God. We recognize that he is God and we are not. And fifth, we learned that in lament we bring our desperation to God. We learned that in lament we take our deep desires and we cry out, God, I need you. Well, then last week, we got to what we called the transformation point, and it's really a two-part transformation point, and it's part six and part seven, and last week, we covered part six. In lament, we bring our trust to God. We look to God and to his character, and we find reason to trust him. Even when we don't understand his ways, we can always trust his heart. Well, this morning, we continue uh, by looking at Lamentations chapter three. And this morning, we're gonna add one new principle to what we've been learning about as it relates to lament. And principle seven of lament is what we're gonna be looking at today, and it's this. In lament, we bring our expectancy to God our expectancy to God. In other words, 
and lament, we do something really courageous because of who we know God to be and what we believe about what he's promised. And here's the courageous thing we do. It's the title of today's message. We dare to hope. And lament, as we relate to God in the midst of pain and suffering and sorrows and brokenness, one of the things that God invites us to do is actually to dare to hope in him, to have an expectancy in him. If you've got your Bible, I want to show you this in Lamentations chapter 3. I read the whole chapter last week, and because today's a continuation, what I want to do is just focus in on kind of that center point, the transformation point of the book and of this particular chapter. I told you last week, chapter 3 is kind of like the apex of the book, and it kind of starts in a place of darkness, but then moves toward ever-increasing light. And I want to focus in on verse 19, which I actually just heard read by Tad as he started today's message. If you've got your Bible, or if you can read on the screen with me, and I encourage you to read this out loud with me, just as we did last week. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it, and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. You can stop reading. I'm going to continue a few more verses, verse 28 through 33. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of man. This is God's word, and this morning we're talking about daring to hope. Hopefully you have a way to write notes. Number seven, in lament, we bring our expectancy to God. Our main point this morning I would encourage you to write down is this. In lament, we express our confidence. This is what I mean by expectancy, okay, you guys? It's a sense of absolute rock-solid confidence I know that I know that I know. That's what we're talking about. Rock-solid confidence. And lament, going back to our main point, we express in whatever words you want to. The words can be yours. But in your heart, there's got to be an expression. An expression of rock-solid confidence. Confidence in what? 
two main things. Number one, I say here, confidence in God's present working. That's the first piece. I am confident that God is presently working. And number two, we express our confidence in God's future restoration of all things as he fulfills his promises. I am confident, whatever way you want to say it, but in your heart, the second piece, I am confident that in the future, God's going to work it out. God's going to be faithful to his promises and God's going to restore all things, including me. So today, from the text, not from my main point, I want to show you that the Spirit of God, even this morning, and your waiting, and in your hoping that you identified at the start of today's sermon, the Spirit of God is inviting you to grow this morning in confidence. Confidence in God's present working and confidence in God's future restoration. Confidence in the fact that what he has promised, he will fulfill. The reason this is so important is uh, because this is a transformation point. I told you that last week's message plus this week's message represent a real turning point. It's so important that as we journey toward God in the midst of life sorrows and brokenness, in the midst of bringing our complaints and our confession, that we're, we continue to move toward his heart and get to this place of trust and hope. It's, it's, it's really important. So this morning, I'm inviting you to lean in, knowing that this is important in light of God's worry, but it's also important just because, as Keller says, and I'll reference um, two primary people today, uh, Mark Vargrip, who wrote uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Tim Keller, who wrote Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, both are available in the resource library. But Keller says something interesting. Paul Tripp harps on it uh, in, a, in a different way in another book. But it's essentially something that you need to know about yourself, and it's this. You are a hope-shaped creature. You are. As, as Paul Tripp, he says it a different way. He says, you're hardwired for hope. Your heart, your life, you are looking for hope. You're searching for it. You're craving it. You want to know what can you be confident in. And Keller goes on to say this. He says, the way that you live today is completely controlled by what you believe about the future. Like it or not. What you believe about the future directly affects how you think, how you feel, how you live today. And the question is, where is your confidence? What is your hope and, and, and what are you anticipating for what is to come? In lament, we express confidence. I want to start by, there's, there's only two points today's sermon, okay? I joked with the team last week, we've been scheduling all these big things in worship over the month of October. Have you noticed? Family dedications, first week of October, baptisms last week, today missions commissioning. And it's essentially cut my sermon length down by about 15 minutes. I think this is a scheme. Um, so that maybe after all these big things get done, I just continue this trend, all right? So I'm trying to simplify a bit. There's only two points today's message. Is everybody excited about that? Anybody feeling Los Camales? 
All right. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So I could keep here longer, but I'm not going to. Um, two main points in today's sermon. And they're highlighted in the, in the main point that I gave you just a second ago. The first thing I want to talk to you about is confidence in God's present working. The first point is this. We are confident that our waiting is not a waste. That's it. We are confident that as we trust in God and as we hope in God, that our waiting is not a waste. Does anybody like waiting? Is there anyone here that likes waiting? I don't particularly love it. Does anybody feel like it's wasted time when you wait? Yes. It is a common thought, right? That this is pointless. This is inefficient. This is purposeless. And one of the things that we learn as Christians, as people of God, is that our waiting is not in waste. There is a space that we live in right now between suffering and the fulfillment of all of God's promise. And lament invites us to, to come into that space and as we mourn, to kind of actively wait on the Lord with a confidence in that waiting that that waiting in and of itself is not wasted. Go to the scripture. I want to show you this, verse 25 to 27. It says, the Lord is good to those who what? Who those who wait for him. In other words, it's in your waiting that God is promising his goodness. It's not a waste. He's saying, when you wait for me, you will see my goodness. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And then he goes on and says, it is good that one should what? Wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Mark Vargrip says, waiting can be hard because of the fear of what might happen. Our inability to do anything but wait is a powerless feeling. We want to know the answer. We want to know what's going on. We want to know, what's the point of this? Why is this happening? Why is my life not what I want. Sure, many of us resonate with the frustration, with the hardship of just waiting. But yet, lament invites us into that space. Here's how Mark describes it, and I'm just copying his language here, and I really liked it in this next phrase. He says, in lament, you have an opportunity to practice what he calls active patience. All right? 
So when you think about waiting, think about it in an active sense. It's active patience. Well, what are we talking about? We talk about active patience. Well, here's what we're talking about. It means that in lament, what we're doing is we're actually expressing that while we are waiting, that feels passive. God is not being passive. God is actually being active. So a way you can understand this is while we are waiting, God is working. So it's essentially an expression of confidence in God and lament where you go, God, does it feel like there's anything I can do here? God, I'm not even sure exactly the specifics of what you're doing here. But as we talked about last week, God, I trust you. I know who you are and I trust you. And God, right now as I wait, I'm doing so actively, God, actively putting my confidence in you because I know that right now, while I don't see all the ways that you're working, I know that you are. I know that you are. Because your word says that as I'm waiting, God, you are working, you are being good. You're taking care of things. As I'm waiting, you are working. And if you look back at the text, you can actually see the direction of this. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. So it's not just waiting for the sake of waiting. That's, that's to me when it feels like pointless waiting. Can I get a witness? You know, like when I am at the, the uh, DMV or whatever, and I'm just like, this is pointless waiting. I don't understand. <laughs> Carol, thank you. You, I really appreciate you understanding that. Um, that feels pointless. But when I'm waiting, and I know that on the other side of it, there's a purpose. Man, that helps a lot. It's not just waiting for the sake of waiting. It's waiting for him. It's waiting while he's working. He goes on and says, it's good that one should wait quietly, but notice the direction of the waiting for something, for the salvation of the Lord. It's waiting with an eye and a confidence in God. If you look down in the text, it's not part of the core text that we read today, but we read it last week. Go down to verse 55, chapter three, Lamentations, verse 55. There's a kind of direction to his confidence. He says, I called on your name of Oh Lord, from the depth of the pit, you heard my plea. You heard. There's a confidence. God, I know you hear me. As I'm waiting, as I'm calling out to you, God, I know that you're working. You heard my plea. Look at verse 58. He says, you have taken up my calls, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. If you go down to verse 64, notice the anticipation of what's to come hasn't happened yet. And yet there's confidence that something will happen. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them. So yes, there's nothing that Jeremiah and the people of God can do as they're waiting and crying out except actively wait on the Lord. Because while they are waiting, he is working. The other thing I want to point your attention to is, if you go back to verse 25, the repetition of the word good. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. 
to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear his yoke in his youth. You can't see it in the English, but in the Hebrew, it's really beautiful. Actually, every single one of these phrases starts with the word good. So it essentially says, good is the Lord to those who wait for him. Good is it that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Good it is for a young man to bear the yoke in his youth, which means it is good that you learn to wait on the Lord early in your life. It's good that you learn it. Good, good, good. What is this about? Here's what it's about. Lament reminds your heart that God brings good from seasons of waiting on him. Lament is a way to, to kind of remind your heart, oh heart, you're like preaching to yourself, oh heart, come into the place where you hope in God, where you really are confident in God, where you know that, that as you trust him and as you anticipate him, that something coming from this moment, this time, this prayer, God is working something good. Waiting. It's one of the hardest things in life, and yet it is a constant theme of scripture. Charles Swindoll, um, he says this, exceptional work is often preceded by extended waiting. Abraham and Sarah, think about it, waiting on a promised son until they're extremely old in their age. Joseph, waiting through the majority of his life after being sold into slavery, forced to learn a new language and culture, wrongly accused of rape, long time in prison, waiting on the fulfillment of the promise of God before he was actually promoted into the prime minister of Egypt and saw reconciliation in his family. Moses waited 40 years in the desert, tending sheep in the plains of Midian. Hannah, waiting long season on a child and a family that she desperately longed for. David waiting 13 years after being anointed king, running from Saul as a fugitive before God fulfilled his promise for him to become king. Elijah waiting on the Lord at the brook. Esther waiting years from the time that she heard that she was supposed to do something to the time she actually had the opportunity to approach the king, years. Paul, most of us don't think about it, after he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, he was pushed by the Spirit of God into Arabia for three years in silence around no one, trained by the Spirit of God before he could begin his public ministry. Waiting, waiting, waiting. It's in the waiting room that God is working and not just working outside of us on our behalf, but also doing some of his best work within us as we learn to get our hands off of control and our hearts into a posture of having to trust in him. Waiting. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 62, verse five, for God alone, oh my soul, waits in silence. My hope is in him. Psalm 130, 
verse five and six. I think I've got it on the screen. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Friends, what does it mean to dare to hope? It means to have confidence that God is presently working and therefore your waiting is not in waste. I'm telling y'all, some of y'all right now, I know it, I know it, I know it. Some of y'all are waiting. You're waiting on the Lord. What are you waiting on the Lord for? I asked you at the start of today's sermon. What are you waiting on the Lord for? For some of you, it's deep, deep heart cries. God, would you answer in this way? God, would you show me your faithfulness in this way? God, would you resolve this in this way? God, would you reconcile in this way? God, would you restore in this way? God, I need you. And you're in the midst of brokenness. And all you have is just your constant, God, I need you. God, I'm asking you. God, I'm hoping in you. I just want to encourage you this morning by the truth of the word of God and by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, I can tell you with confidence, your waiting on the Lord is not wasted. For while you are waiting, he is working. Hope in the Lord, hope in the Lord. There is coming a day where you will see all the ways in which he has been working. He is good and he is at work. Trust him and hope in him. Secondly, this is the second of the two points of today's sermon. Secondly, we go back to our main point and we see that our confidence is not only God's present working, but it's also in the future restoration of all things as he fulfills his promise, right? We talked about that in our main point. So the second point of today's sermon I just want to highlight is this. As we dare to hope, here's what it means. It means that we are confident that the final word has not yet been spoken. We are confident that the final word of God has not yet been spoken. Tim Keller, in his book, I'll go back to a quote from him. He says this, there is nothing more practical for sufferers than to have hope. It's the erosion or the loss of hope that makes suffering unbearable. And here at the end of the Bible is an ultimate hope. A material world in which all suffering is gone, in which every tear is wiped from our eyes, this is a life-transforming and living hope. I want to point your attention back to Lamentations because I want you to understand where the writer is placing his hope. Look at verse 31. 31 of chapter 3. He says, For the Lord will not cast off forever. In other words, he's going, What I'm experiencing right now, I know. I know that I know that I know 
that it's not gonna be like this forever. Michelle and I have a phrase when, as we are leading and engaging in the community and in our kind of callings, some days we walk in and you kind of just look at the other's face and know, ooh, today was a hard day. Michelle uses a phrase that has been really helpful. Well, she'll, she'll say, today felt especially broken. Today felt especially broken. There are some days that feel especially broken. Can I get a witness? Some days you just feel it. What keeps us going? What keeps us engaging? What keeps our heads lifted? How do you deal with days that feel especially broken? You know that you know that you know it's not gonna be like this forever. You know that the end of the story is gonna look different than this present moment. The confidence of the writer of Hebrews, for I know that the Lord will not cast off forever. Look at verse 31 and 32 as he continues. He says, but though he caused grief, what does he say? He will have compassion. In other words, so right now feels really hard, really dark, really sad, really bad. I know that in the end, it's gonna be, the end will be defined by his compassion. According to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he doesn't afflict from his heart or grieve the children of man. So here's what we're doing. Here's what we're doing in lament. Lament looks expectantly toward what is to come. Lament, sitting in today, is looking toward tomorrow and going, God, I'm anticipating, God, that what is to come is not defined by this brokenness within me, this sin of this moment of this world, but God, what is to come is defined by your grace. It's defined by your love. It's defined by a finished work of our Savior, Jesus. What is to come, the end of the story that is to be written, is good. Another way to say it is this. In lament, we know suffering is not ultimately victorious. It's not. Suffering, sin and suffering in the end will not have the last word. Satan will not have the last word over us. Sin will not have the last word over us. This world's brokenness will not have the last word. Suffering is not ultimately victorious. First of all, suffering has limits. We know that. Verse 31, for the Lord will not cast off forever. In other words, there's a limitation of time. Suffering has limits. So in lament, Essentially, what you're saying is this. This ain't over. This is not over. Mark Vogrup says it this way. He says, lament points our hearts to a future victory. So in lament, we go, this is not over. I know that in the end, God, this is what you're gonna do. And not only do we know that it has limits, but we also know that suffering has purpose. We trust deeply that suffering has purpose. Verse 33, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of man. Theologian Louis Burkhoff says, the Bible teaches us to look forward to a final judgment 
as the decisive answer of God to all such questions, as the solution to all such problems, and as the removal of the apparent discrepancies of the present. If you look to Revelation chapter five, verse six, see there's all these questions throughout the Bible. Oh, how long, Lord? How long, Lord? God, where are you? How long will you be silent? How long will you tolerate the treacherous? How, when will you rescue me? God, how long will it be? And then you get to Revelation chapter five and you see the end of the story. Between the throne and the four living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. I saw a lamb standing. How amazing is that? On the cross, it looked like darkness had won. On the cross, it looked like sin had won. On the cross, it looked like Satan had won. And yet the final picture we see in Revelation is that all of that The, the worst of, of what humans could do and what evil could do and what rebellion could do, it, it all backfired. A wounded lamb standing. In other words, the end of the story is God's total and complete triumph. There's nothing that can stop the goodness and the grace of God in the end toward those who he loves and are called according to his purpose, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. In the end, in the end, God works it out. It's gonna be all right. Keller says, God's answer is evil turned back upon itself, conquered by the ultimate degree of love and the fulfillment of justice. This answer consoles us and it summons us and it allows us to wait for the coming of the crucified conqueror. He will wipe away the tears from every face soon. And if you look ahead to Revelation chapter seven, verse 15 to 17, it says, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And you go to Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first one had passed away and the sea was no more and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. And then in verse four, I saw a lamb again standing he will wipe away every tear. Keller goes on to say, Christianity holds out a hope unlike any other. The secular view sees no future good of any kind and other religions believe in eternity or heaven that's a consolation for the losses of pain in this life and the joys that have been there. But as we have said, Christianity offers not merely a consolation, but a restoration not just of the life we had, but of the life we always wanted, but never achieved. Hope, 
hope, absolute confidence in the restoration that is to come and absolute confidence that in the end, he will fulfill all of his promises as we look to our risen savior. We know that we know that we know that there's coming a day that he will come again and he will complete the work that he started and every promise that he made, he will fulfill and he will restore all things. He will make everything new, including you who trust in him. Aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful? And I ask you today, what are the things that you would dare to hope in God? Things that feel impossible. Situations right now that feel especially broken and I'm asking, are you anticipating a day when that brokenness will be no more? And I'm telling you on the basis of the truth of God's word and his love for you poured out in Jesus Christ, there is coming a day that if you hold on to hope, you will see the restoration, the fulfillment of the promise that your heart so deeply longs for. Hold on to hope for he who promised is faithful. I close today's message with one final Keller quote and this has been a very Keller day. I do not apologize because this particular uh, teaching today, I really believe is so important for us to hear. But I close with this final quote. He says, while other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. The long history of those who have had faith in Jesus is people who do not deny suffering, who do not quickly try to explain it away, who do not try to escape it, but rather can sit in the midst of it. I think of Christians through the centuries who have sacrificed themselves for the joy set before them. They gave of themselves to do things the world could go, what the world are you doing? Why would you do that? And yet they kept giving themselves, engaging the darkness, engaging the brokenness, pushing back the lostness at great cost to themselves. Why is it that anyone would do that? Because we can sit in the midst of this world's sorrows because we taste and have confidence in the coming joy. We know the one who we believe in and we know that he who promises faithful. And centuries of Christians before us have had to endure so much pain and suffering and so many because of the sin of others. And yet in the midst of it all, have held on to a view of light in the darkness and hope in the brokenness. How? Because their confidence is not in the things of this world, it's in the one who holds this world and the one who one day will make it new again. And I wonder today, as you wait and as you hope, will you respond to the Spirit's invitation 
to have confidence in his present working and his future restoration. If you do, it will transform everything and give you the opportunity in the midst of the sorrow to taste common joy. Father, thank you for this word, and I pray, God, that you would plant it deep in our hearts, that we might, in this moment, hope in you. Lord, I'm praying today. I know that there are ones here who are hurting really bad. They're longing really deeply. They've been waiting and asking, pleading, praying. Things around them right now feels really broken, really dark. Oh Lord, would you just help those who are here, who are ready to be honest about that, who are ready to bring their hearts to you and just, and just ask you to just give them fresh hope. Lord, I pray that your spirit today would just cause us to believe, to believe that even as we wait, you're working. And as we hope, our faith will not prove in the end in vain. Lord, you will fulfill the things you promised. So as we sing this song, church family, I'm gonna invite our prayer counselors to come up and it's just our sincere time to respond to God. I'm just gonna ask you, you can stand, you can sit, whatever you'd like to do, come to the altar and pray. We're gonna sing a song that was written by someone who read Lamentations 3 and decided to put it into words. It's a song that's very familiar to most of us. It's called Great Is Your Faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I've needed, your hand has provided. Great, God, is your faithfulness to me. So as we sing the words of this song, just, just pour out your heart before him. Some of us have grown tired of waiting and our hope has <laughs> kind of dried up. And just let the spirit of God refresh you and renew you and restore you today and get your eyes off of circumstance to a savior, Jesus, who loves you, who gave himself for you, who is faithful and good, who is working right now, as you pray, he's praying for you and who one day will come again to fulfill all that he's promised you. Get your eyes off of circumstance and onto Jesus as we sing all about him. He is great, great is his faithfulness. So let's stand or let's just move into a posture of prayer, whatever it is. Prayer counselors are here, altars open. Let's use this time just to say, God, our hope is in you. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15:13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.